Shall we pray once more? Again, our Heavenly Father, we magnify that sovereign grace which so many of us have tasted. We know that the Lord is good. We pray that you would do it again, O God, in salvation, in this night and in days to come. We ask for your strong right hand to be stretched out to pluck as brands from the burning those who are still lost and needy. Our God, we ask that you would magnify your grace, even as we consider it this evening, that you would glorify your name in our eyes, that we would marvel once more at what you have done and how you have worked for the praise of the glory of your grace. Father, exalt Christ. Receive us for his sake. Bless us with your spirit's presence and power. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> We've been studying in the last few weeks the work of God in salvation. Our overarching text has been from toward the end of Romans and chapter 8. Verse 28 reads, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. We've tried to root this study in the purpose of God to conform a people to the image of his Son, each one individually and all of them together, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God has established in his sovereign purpose that he will truly, wonderfully bless his people, that he will give to them the highest of heaven's favours, that they should be like his own beloved Son. And yet the ultimate intention that in so blessing us is that the Son himself will be magnified as the firstborn among many brothers. And so we begun to, to study out that purpose of God. And we've considered that God predestined that people. He has foreloved them and he has foreordained them for the great good of conformity to Jesus Christ. That is his intention. And it was a, a choice that he made in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. And you've seen, I hope, and you can recall how if the ultimate purpose of God is conformity to Christ for the exaltation and glory of Christ, it is right and it is good and it is pleasant and it is joyful for us to see how every step and stage in this process is intimately connected with our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And so we were chosen in him according to Ephesians chapter 1 chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world but as Paul conducts this survey of what God has accomplished 
Uh, and you remember, perhaps, as we just briefly looked over it, how he puts it all in the past tense. So confident is he of the faithfulness of God that even the things that have yet to be finally and fully accomplished are as certain as the things which lie in our own past experience. That if you can plunge, as it were, into the midst of the history of any one of God's people, you have those who've been chosen from before the foundation of the world, but in time and space they are dead in their trespasses and sins. We have all had that experience. Some of you still here this evening, dead in trespasses and sins, under the slavery and dominion of the evil one. And we who already are in the kingdom of God, we know what that is like, for we have been there too, and we look back with grief and distress over those years, some of us, decades, in which we served the evil one rather than God. But how does anyone get from that state to this one? When God chooses, what is the means by which he brings out of darkness into his light? We have to look at the the world as a whole and we're reminded that God's chosen ones are scattered throughout this fallen world. And in their experience, there is a time when they are not alive, but dead in their sins. And then they are alive in Christ Jesus. What is it then that brings a sinner from their inertia spiritually, their deadness, their disinclination, their antagonism to everything that is godly? If the carnal mind is enmity against God, if man and women in their natural condition are opposed to him, then how on earth does anybody ever get to be a friend of God? We have to ask then, how does God advance his saving purposes? Even that kind of explanation reminds us and emphasises to us that if we are to be alive, it's not going to be because of anything that begins in us. If you want a dead man to live, you don't begin by trying to work out if there's any life in him. He's already dead. Life has to be brought into him. There is no life in him to stir up. There is no native strength to work upon. By what means then does God bring life to those who are dead? What happens to those whom he's chosen from before the foundation of the world? What is the next stage in God's saving sequence? after his predestinating, foreloving, or foreordaining. Verse 28. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And that language is picked up then in verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You need to understand that every one of these words is locked into all the others. You can't separate them, unyoke them, pull them apart, take one out. The whole sequence belongs together. And here in the the second step of verse 30, whom he predestined, these he also called. Now, to study out what the Apostle means by this, we're going to look particularly this evening in 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. 
Now remember that Corinth is a truly godless environment. And the people in Corinth who have heard the gospel have been called out of that world to God for holiness. But they are a much tried, a much tested, a much troubled congregation. They are struggling because the world in which they are living is so contrary to everything that they are supposed to be. And it seems as if they are asking the question, and perhaps others are asking the question of them, how are these people going to make it to the end? How is it that they're going to stand? What basis do they have for confidence? Where did this life come from? And how on earth do we expect that it is going to be sustained? And in order to answer that question, Paul takes us back to the beginning. He says from verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Can you imagine the smile that puts on a Corinthian Christian's face when that letter gets read in the congregation? That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's this last verse that I've read, verse 9. Remember, we're trying not to just so concentrate on a word that it becomes a theoretical study. We're trying to see this in the wild, as if you like. We're trying to study this in the field so we can see what this looks like in practice. We can understand what it means in experience. So when it comes then to the call of God, built upon the four loving, four ordaining purposes of God. First of all, consider the agent of this call. Who is it who issues the call? And Paul tells us, God, God is faithful. By whom, this faithful God, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. So we're now putting a bit of flesh on the bones of Romans 8, 28 and 30. Whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. It is the Almighty who is at work in the salvation of his beloved people. It is distinctly the God who is faithful. And that's where the assurance comes from. And that's where the connections build together. Because God is faithful. He is faithful to himself first and foremost. And that's why we ourselves have this security. Because God is faithful to his purposes. When God sets his love upon someone, that person is loved. And they cannot be unloved. They will not be sidelined. They'll never be abandoned or forgotten. God is faithful to his promises. He has said that he will send a saviour. 
He has already established with that Saviour that there will be a people for whom he will lay down his life. And as you work your way through the scriptures over and over, as you turn the pages, you see the promises of God being fulfilled, sometimes in degrees, sometimes measure by measure, sometimes in ways beyond anything you might have imagined when you first heard the promise that it would come to pass in these ways. So even if it comes by a man like Balaam, that I see him, but not near. This star that is going to rise up, this scepter that is going to come. And you might say a promise out of the mouth of a Balaam, a promise that is so distant so that the prophet himself says, it's so far away, I can't even see the detail. And yet you have in due time, in the fullness of time, the king of David's line, Jesus of Nazareth, who comes into the world And they say, go and look in the city of David. For this day is born to you a saviour who is Christ the Lord. This is the day that the star has risen. This is the day the scepter is established. God is faithful then to himself in his purposes, to himself in his promises and to himself with regard to his people. If God has predestined, God must call. Now that is not to impose from outside a necessity upon God because God cannot be imposed upon in that way. But it is God himself who has sworn and is faithful. He has said it. He will do it. To do anything else would be to not be God for he is faithful and true in all things. My friends, the God who deals with us is a God who is steadfast in his affection and his attachment. If he has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, then at his own appointed moment, he will do what is next needful in order that having loved us before, having ordained us before, he will begin moving us toward that glorious conformity to our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ let me put it this way has God predestined then everything else has to follow it cannot be otherwise his loving kindness his covenant mercies you know how often for example as we read through the book of the Psalms you see that language coming out he is the I am he is the God who has sworn and he will not change he is the God whose words do not fall to the ground he is the God whose covenant faithfulness as the ever-living self-existent eternal God cannot be for a moment questioned My friends, that's the God with whom the Corinthians had to do. And that's the God with whom you and I have to do. There are times, perhaps, when everything seems to be swirling around you. What do you hold on to? God is faithful. That's what the Corinthians needed to grasp. When they were looking at what was happening to them and in them and among them and around them, they needed to remember God is faithful. And these things then are rooted in the divine faithfulness in God himself. You'll see it, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24. Paul's language there. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. You see, the Thessalonians needed it as well. 
They weren't in quite the state that the Corinthians were, but they also needed to be reminded of these things. They needed to be able to hang on to these things. They needed to consider again the character of their gracious God. You'll find it in Psalm 89 and verse 38. No, wrong verse. It's certainly in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Now you need to remember then, when you come to this part of this saving purpose of God, who it is who acts. When it comes to the call, it is the faithful God who issues the call. Who then are the objects of the call? Who are the people who are being called? Paul simply says to the Corinthians, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. Now, who are these people? Go back to verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. The contrast is emphasised by the action. It is God and these Corinthians. And we need to remember what they were. Paul describes them for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know, he says, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. These are the people to whom the apostle is writing when he says God is faithful by whom you were called. That was the state and condition in which you were when God found you, when the gospel first came to you. And you were vile and you were sinful and you were going in in some of the most extreme expressions of rebellion against God. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, how did that happen? How did you, Corinthians, who were dead, who were vile, who were foul, who were diseased in your souls, who were lost in some of the far corners of wickedness, how did you come to be what you are, this church of God which is at Corinth? You were called to be saints. You have that beautiful language, don't you, in Acts chapter 18. We'll come back to it, where they hear the gospel and they believe what has been spoken. It's the same with Peter when he's writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Paul to the Ephesians, once you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Isn't it wonderful that when we look out, when we even look within, what would the apostle say to you and me? Such were some of you. 
Christian friends here this evening, what kind of wickedness lies in our past? What manner of rebellion was there behind us? What manner of men were we once? What kind of women were we once? And yet what are we now? God has been at work in sinners. You see, it is not the righteous that Jesus comes to call, but the unrighteous, the sinful and the needy. He comes to seek that which is lost. He comes to search for that which he designs to bless. Unworthy in ourselves, all undeserving and ill-deserving, utterly unlovely and yet chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And so when God, who is faithful, began to seek, he sought out those whom he had loved. Oh, friends, let's never go into the streets. Let's never look around our offices and say, that one is lost. That man is damned. That woman is too far gone. Those children will never know God. No, we should be looking out into the world in all its misery and saying, what a God that he has a people for himself. And though now they may be scattered in the darkness, though now they may be lost in sin and misery, yet where God has predestined, he who is faithful, he who is faithful to himself and all his purposes and promises to glorify his name in salvation, he will also call. And there will come a day when they will add their voices to ours. Not notice us saying, we're glad that we were better, but perhaps God's brought you in as well. But they will speak as we speak. Such were some of you. Such were some of us. That was our life too. That was our death too. That was our misery too. Who does God deal with? He deals with sinners. God is faithful by whom you were called. The agent, the faithful God. The objects of his dealings, sinners like us. And the action by which we are found and brought is that you were called. Every time we have those two parties together in the word of God, God in his holiness, man in his sinful misery, Does it not astound you that you should find a verb like called connecting those two groups together? You might have said God is faithful and so he damned. God is holy and so he condemned. God is righteous and so he cast out. But no, with regard to those whom he predestined, God is faithful by whom you were called. This is gracious tenderness because of that for-loving and that for-ordaining. And again, this is where you are in Acts and chapter 18, where Paul goes with Silas and Timothy to Corinth. Many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptised. There was opposition. There were some who didn't want to hear, but the word of God went out across Corinth. He found a certain Jew named Aquila who'd come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. 
They were working together as tent makers, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Silas and Timothy then join him. Paul is compelled by the Spirit, testifies to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. They oppose him. They blaspheme. He shakes out his garments. Your blood be upon your own head. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. He departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshipped God whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. My friends, it's quite possible that Crispus was one of the ringleaders at first, saying, we will not have this man and his ministry amongst us. They blasphemed him. And what is God doing? As the word goes forth, the spirit of Christ is at work upon Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. It gets a grip upon his heart. Crispus believed on the Lord, not alone, all his household, his wife, children, slaves. They also hear the word of God. They also believe in what is spoken concerning Jesus Christ. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptised. The Holy Spirit, you see, is at work. You can look at it from another angle. Love to see how the, the word of God gives you these different angles. You see it there in Corinth. What's going on? Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 6 and verse 37. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me shall by no means, I will by no means cast out. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. You see it in different places, don't you? As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. There in Antioch. It's glorious. What is taking place? My friends, God is calling. God is calling. These men and women, dead in their trespasses and sins are now hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And those whom God has predestined are hearing the voice of God himself in the gospel. It's coming to them to use the Thessalonian language, not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you go on into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you heard it as it is in truth, not the word of a man. Yes, they listened to Paul and Silas and Timothy as they pressed Christ and his claims upon them. But you heard it as it is in truth. It was the word of God himself. And it gripped you. It came to you with power. Again, this is what we read at the beginning. The message of the cross. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved. To us who are being saved, says Paul. It's the power of God. We preach Christ and him crucified. To those who are called. Both Jews and Greeks. Where this gospel comes with power. It grips a man. It grabs a woman. And it brings them sweetly to God. You've tasted this, Christian brother, sister. You've known this for yourself. 
The good news has been preached to you. God has convinced you of your sin and misery. You have come to understand that you are a sinner in his hands, that you are worthy of condemnation, that you deserve to be damned. You've been convicted that in you there is no good thing. Those awful catalogues of sin, those awful declarations and descriptions of all your ugly need and poverty and misery and frailty, you've realized that they're not speaking about even people they're describing you you know that you have no help and no hope in yourself and the command has come that you must repent of your sins and believe the gospel and you have responded where has that come from it has come from god He is calling you in his faithfulness, in his power. He has brought you in. It is an effectual call, you see. If you're using the the technical language, it's an enlivening call. Mum goes to the door. Come to dinner. Everybody keeps playing football. It's not effectual. Nobody's paying any attention. What if you woke up tomorrow morning and there were a letter in the post to say that you have been summoned for jury duty? Now, even that only begins to scratch the surface, but it's a summons, you see. There's authority here. You are now obliged. There is a response that is required of you. But the call of God is is more than even some sort of judicial summons. The call of God is the arm of the Lord reaching out to grasp you and to bring you to himself. It is the call into a new creation in Christ Jesus. The invitation goes out into all the world. I am utterly unembarrassed and so ought you to be about knocking on any door in this community, speaking to any one of your friends and neighbours and saying I have good news for you. There is a Christ who saves sinners like us. And as we speak that gospel, what do we believe and what do we expect and for what do we pray and how do we hope that as I explain, as you explain to your sons or your daughters or your parents or your friends, that Christ Jesus came into the world, sinners to save, that some of them will be saying, I am the sinner who needs saving. And this, this is the Christ who can save me. They are hearing the call of God. They're not volunteering. They're not demanding. They're dead. They're antagonistic. But they are called. And so their eyes are opened. And their heart is turned. And this is the wonder of grace. They're made willing. Some of you would say... I am the least likely person ever to be a Christian. You're all right. Not you're all right. You are all right about the fact that you are the least likely person imaginable to become a Christian. How do I know that? Because there are no likely candidates for Christianity. We are all by nature dead in our sins. The carnal mind is enmity against God. And yet, here you are, Christian, this evening. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. What has accomplished that change in you? Were you brought kicking and screaming? Now you may have fought to begin with. 
That would be the experience of many of us, wouldn't it? When we first heard it, we thought it was nonsense, awful, terrible. Perhaps we'd even grown up under the sound of the gospel and we thought it was worthless and and pointless and ineffectual. Didn't seem to speak to us, didn't mean anything to us. By some means, there was a shaking and a waking. For some of you, that was painful, was it not? How low did you need to be brought? How much did you cling to your own self-righteousness? How fiercely did you maintain your ability to do what you needed to do? How much perhaps did you fight against the call of God? And graciously and firmly and wonderfully, God who is faithful refused to let you go. He pursued you. He followed you. Perhaps for years, even decades, you had no sense that the God of heaven was after you, that the shepherd of souls was seeking for you. And yet there came a time when, broken in yourself, emptied of pride, confessing your sin, you, humbled before God, said not, well, I suppose I'll have to come, but Christ, save me. Help me, redeem me and deliver me. And you came having been made willing. Yes, it may have been a painful shaking and awaking. But when the time came, God sweetly drew you to himself. Your soul had been subdued. And understanding your need, you realise that Jesus was the one who was willing and able to meet that need. Feeling your emptiness, you looked to him in all his saving fullness. Understanding your sinfulness, you came to him for forgiveness. Some people say, how do I know I'm elect? Have you come to Jesus? (laughs) Have you heard the call of Jesus? Have you heard the call of the faithful God? My friends, you don't need to go around asking, has God predestined me? You need to listen to God tonight as he says to you, come to me that you may have rest for your soul. There's all the evidence that you need. That if you will this night heed and hearken to the voice of God in his gospel, that you coming to Christ must be saved because those who come to him he will by no means cast out if God is calling you I plead answer now and come to him because he calls notice the direction and the ultimate destination he calls into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord ah here is the Lord Jesus again Here he is as the the central figure, as it were, in the experience of our salvation. Here is God's beloved son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you notice how Paul packs in all those particular precious names and titles. Here is the God man. Here is the saviour. Here is the Messiah, crucified and risen, enthroned and returning, the mediator, the one mediator between God and God. And men. He was prominent in Romans chapter 8 from verse 17. 
If we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. Or verse 23, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. This is the faithfulness of God toward us. You see, we are called into the fellowship of his son. It's the language that can be used even of of some kind of partnership. There's an intimacy of relationship here. In 1 John chapter 1, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. You see, this is why the call is so vital. This is how it fits into the system. This is how it advances God's ultimate purpose of conforming us to the image of his son, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers, because the call of God the Father brings you to his son, brings you into fellowship with his beloved one, that you may be accepted in him. It's the intimacy of the deepest relationship. It's this uh, sweet friendship. It's the language of having everything in common. Again, you think of those wedding vows and however variously they're framed, there's a sense in them that I am yours and you are mine, that mine is yours and yours is mine. We are now yoked together, one flesh out of the two. And you understand that that's a feeble and pale reflection of the relationship of the Lord Jesus to his church. When Christ takes us to himself, when we are bound to him in this mighty call by which we are brought to Jesus Christ, he's saying to you, I am yours and everything that is mine is yours. God will now never deal with you apart from me. And actually, he never did. Because you were chosen in me before the foundation of the world. And now you've been called into fellowship with me. Brothers and sisters, by the call of God, we are united to Jesus Christ. We'll look at our response to this because we're not robots here. Remember, we're made willing. How does that willingness express itself? In penitent faith, in repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ. But this is the call that brings forth the faith that brings us to Jesus Christ, that we may be identified in him. You understand that when Paul uses the language of believing in Christ, you could translate it so often, believing into Jesus. You're coming into relationship with him. You're being clothed in his righteousness and washed in his blood. You're being now represented by him. You've been called into fellowship with God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, And he has become your covenant head. In his life, he is for you. In his death, he is your substitute. In his resurrection, he is the first fruits. Before God, even now, there stands that man, Jesus Christ. And he is God's representative for you with God himself. Communion with him. Spiritual intimacy 
I'd love to spend hours on all of these, but I'm conscious that the time is passing. This is just a flavour, favoured in him, accepted in the beloved, beloved in the Son of God's love, graced in him, so that in and from him you receive all the treasures of God's saving intent, blessings from him. Every good that you enjoy, my friend, it is in Christ Jesus. Every grace that you've received, Every testimony that you have to the kindness of your Father in heaven toward you is found in your fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. Patterned after him, you are now his and he is now yours. You are going to be sanctified. You've been set apart to him and now you're going to live more and more in accordance with him. Imitating Jesus. Service for him. This mutuality, my time, it's his. My talents, they're his. Whatever tools I have for the honour of God, they are truly for the honour of God in Christ. My energies, my monies, those are not first of all mine, they are first of all his, and they become my stewardship. He is my representative before God. He's not ashamed to call me a brother. Am I ashamed to call him a saviour? Or will you represent him before men? How will they hear of him if not from us? How will they know of the salvation of the saviour if not from his people? Are we ashamed of Jesus? Into whose fellowship we have been called by a faithful God that out of darkness we might be light, out of death we might be life, away from hell we might obtain heaven? And will we say, no, I don't want to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ? Or must you say, despite all the despisings, I wear the livery of my Saviour, I am his and he is mine. And then ultimately glory alongside of him. See, that's where it's all tending again. Conform to the image of God's Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And here are these Corinthians, and they're asking, in a world like this and with hearts like these, how are we going to make it? God is faithful. By whom you were called. Your experience as believers is already that the Lord God in his grace and mercy has reached out. He's called you to himself. He's called you into the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Paul's argument is this. If God is faithful, who's called you, what follows? Well, he's told the Romans whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. My friends, it's as true in Crawley as it was in Corinth. You may look around you and say, how will we stand? You may look within you and say, how will I endure? And my answer is not, don't worry, you're strong enough. My answer is not, don't worry, together we can make it. My answer isn't, don't worry if we just do enough Bible readings and sit through enough prayer meetings and listen to enough sermons, everything's sure to work out okay. No, my answer is this, my friends, we are weak. And the world and the flesh and the devil, they are strong. But God is faithful. 
And if he has called us into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, then he will complete what he has begun. For whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. The reality of the call, that turning from our sins to God through Jesus Christ, joined now to him by faith. That is the hope and the confidence of God's people. If we have heard the call of the faithful God, it is because God set his love upon us from before the foundation of the world. And if he has brought us to his son, Jesus Christ, if he's called us into this intimate partnership, this profound communion, this sweet and saving fellowship, then we are safe indeed. And if you would be safe with us and like us because of the faithfulness and the glory of our God, hear the call of the gospel. Come to Christ, believe into him and enjoy all the fruits of his present and enduring salvation. Amen.